Yes, he is. Ah, oh, so good. So we have, uh, well, no, happy Pentecost Sunday. Today is uh, what we um, know from the Greek as uh, we call Pentecost Sunday. It's actually also called uh, the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot in um, the Hebrew. And um, it is one of the Hebrew festivals. But we celebrate it because it is, was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church after Jesus' resurrection. And um, so it's an epic day to remember when heaven crashed in. So good. You know, um, it, it's called Pentecost, 50 days, and it's basically because, uh, well, it was set up that there was Passover. The Passover was a feast that was commemorated, that was established by the Lord for Israel to commemorate their release from Egypt. Um, it was the in, in that feast, they had to find a lamb that was without blemish. They s- killed the lamb. They put the uh, blood on the door, door jam over the top, the doorpost, and they ate leavened bread as God was setting them free to get out of Egypt. And it was a celebration from all time of God setting the people of Israel free, the ancient Israelites, and bringing them into the promised land and into um, all, you know, the land that had been uh, given to them uh, through Abraham. And God, God then said, the day after that, they were to take the first fruits, the, the sheaf uh, of barley, the first fruits from the harvest, and to wave it to the Lord as an offering. And then 50 days later, they had the Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, which was uh, where they would take new grain in, in bread with fresh uh, yeast and wave it as a wave offering to the Lord, basically to symbolize everything that we have comes from you. It was like an offering back to heaven to, to say thank you to the Lord. And, and, and so what I love about the gospel is that God in, the, in that old covenant dispensation, he was saying to the people of Israel, the ancient Israelites, This is what I want you to do to commemorate and to worship me. But we know that those were just the forerunners, the foretastes of what God himself was going to do. And that Jesus coming, Jesus came as God left his throne, came to the earth, and he was himself the Passover lamb, sacrificed on Passover. He was the ultimate uh, sacrificial lamb, the perfect spotless lamb that was without blemish to not just set people free from the slavery of the ancient Egyptians, but actually to set us all free from the slavery of sin and death and the devil. And he came as the ultimate Passover lamb to set us free. It was God's action in Christ Jesus to, because he loved us so much and he wanted us to be set free and to be rescued that he released us from that, made a way through Jesus Christ. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? That we're no longer bound to sin and slavery. We're no longer bound in chains uh, and, and, and unable to break out of the sin habits that we've had. We've now been put into Christ. We have a new name, a new nature, a new identity. Psalm, I think it's 118, says, open up the gates of righteousness to me, and Jesus is the gate of righteousness. And we've stepped in in Christ Jesus. And you are not outside of Christ. If you've said yes to Jesus, you and I, we're now in Christ Jesus. We have a new nature and a new name and new address. The view from inside is way better from the view, than the view from the outside. Ha. Ah, and we're filled with God. 
Christ dwelling in us, us in Christ, Christ in us. That's the truth of the gospel. It's not that we're outside looking in. We're no long, once we were outside looking in, but now we're on the inside looking out, full of God. But then 50 days later, God does another amazing thing. Whereas he, he, instead of us giving the first fruits, he comes with the power of the Holy Spirit and he releases the Holy Spirit to the, to the, to the, the church as the first fruit, Romans 8, 30, 23 or 24, says that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of heaven. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He is the life of God released to us. So not only did Jesus come as a savior to set us free, but it, the Holy Spirit was then poured out upon us to empower our lives, to give us strength and energy to get free from all the bondage uh, and to set other people free. It's the gospel is God in Christ stepping into our world and setting us free and then pouring out the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, it's so good. You can smile about that because that's good news. You don't have to try to achieve God's favor. You already have it in Christ Jesus. You don't have to try to be righteous. You already have it because you have the righteousness of Christ. In fact, the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God. It's blow your mind. It's out of this world, incredible, beautiful, glorious, wonderful, but it's true. And so I want us to have a look uh, at um, uh, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start there and I'm going to sort of jump around a little bit, maybe literally as well as metaphorically. And um, just take a moment to look at that first coming, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, which we're celebrating today. You know, I love, I love what we were singing, which is Christ in us. What were, my mind has just gone blank. What was the lyric of we were just singing in that last song? The same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in us. The coming of the Holy Spirit is us being infused and imbued with that power. Let's just say that again. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I. If we've said yes to following Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, then he dwells on the inside of us. We're born of the Spirit and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about, um, he, you know, he, he says that, that, the, that God raised Christ from the dead and it's the same power that's at work in us that raised Christ from the dead. And he uses three words to describe what happened to Christ when he was you know, put into the tomb. It says that it was the energy of the might of his power in Ephesians chapter 1. The energy, the might, the power of God at work in Christ to raise him from the dead. You know, the Bible says that when Christ died, we died. When Christ was buried, we were buried. When Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected. When Christ was ascended to, he to heaven, we were ascended. And when Christ was glorified, we were glorified. And we're now seated with, seated with him in the right hand of the Father. We're in Christ Jesus. But it's the energy of the might of his power, that power that by the Spirit raised Christ from the dead, that very same power that dragged all, that took all of sin and dealt with all of sin, uh, having Jesus having taken all of the sin and the guilt and the shame of the world from the last Adam to the very last baby that was born before Jesus returns, all that put upon him. And then the power of Christ, the energy of the might of his power raised Jesus up to, to life and that's the same energy of the might of his power that's at work in us. 
Jesus, come on, that's so good. So when the Holy Spirit comes, because he's the energy of the might of his power, we would expect to see something radical happen. Yeah? So Acts chapter 2, there's the day of Pentecost. The, the, the disciples are in an upper room. They are praying. Jesus having been ascended into heaven, he's saying, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power, clothed with power from on high. And they are there praying, interceding, waiting in obedience. And when the day of Pentecost comes, they're all together in one place. And all of a sudden... <laughs> says in verse uh, 2 of chapter 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and each one of them spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Those tongues, it later on says, are declaring, prophesying the goodness and the majesty, the great works of God. And the Holy Spirit comes on that day of Pentecost like a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, the living flame of Yah, the, the life, the love of God, being uh, baptizing the new disciples, baptizing the church, giving them power and love and glory and goodness. Ah, we've been filled with Christ. We've been filled in Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. You are not weak, you are not powerless. We suffer, we see weakness, but we have the power of heaven on the inside of us. Paul later goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can smile about that one too. And so Peter has this great sermon. You know, when any time that God's moving, there's always a good question to ask is, what does this mean? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> these guys, you know, it says that they looked like they were drunk because Peter had to get up and say, these men are not drunk as you suppose because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. There was something about the way that God was moving upon them that caused them to look like they were drunk. So they asked the question, the people that were there, what does this mean? And so Peter gives this great sermon. We haven't got time to look, go into it, but the first part of the sermon is from, he's referencing the promise of the Father, particularly from Joel chapter 2, where God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Are you a young person? Are you an old person? Are you a lady? Are you a man? The Bible says, as the spirit comes, you will dream dreams, you will prophesy, you will see visions. And I believe, as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that actually that we, our inheritance by the Spirit is all of the spiritual gifts. They're all ours. Because I believe they're love gifts given to us by a Heavenly Father to demonstrate His love to the world. And so therefore, every single gift that the, the Holy Spirit wants to release to us is available to us in the moment that He wants us to use that gift to demonstrate His love to people around us. So if you're not prophesying, the Bible says, eagerly desire it. If you're not seeing visions, eagerly desire it. If you're not having words of knowledge, eagerly desire it. If you're not having gifts of faith, eagerly desire it. If you're not seeing miracles, eagerly desire it. Why? Because it's yours and my inheritance. And if you have an inheritance and you don't claim it, then people might consider your sanity. If I had a million dollars as an inheritance waiting for me and I didn't claim it, you would probably think, what's wrong with this dude? 
Does he not want it? Is he not interested? Does he care? The Holy Spirit is, that inher- is our inheritance. And so I want to just jump to verse 32 of Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter, having described that the, that the Holy Spirit is being poured out in, in, in response to the prophet, promise of the Father, he then ties it to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself says, I, I, I'm going to go. It's better for me to go. If I go, then the Holy Spirit will come to you, but he, he won't come to you until I've been ascended. And so Peter picks up that theme in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let's just unpack that for a minute. Jesus has been exalted. The Father has a promise. All the way through the Old Testament, this moment, this day, where the Father's saying, in the last day, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. It's going to go from being on the Spirit resting on a few people to now the Holy Spirit being birthed into a whole new community. And in Ephesians, no, Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will put my Spirit in them. It was unheard of in that moment. There was moments where people had received the Holy Spirit on top of them, but now God being exalted, we're now one with Christ and we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. He's exalted at the right hand of God. God has his promise, the Spirit, I'm going to pour out the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, everything is going to change for you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Just take a moment, just adore him for a minute. Holy Spirit. Ah. In fact, just can you do me a favor? I'm, I'm struggling to connect to this in this service. I want you just to speak in tongues for a minute, could you? Shikaraba, if you know how to do that, just. Shidaraba so do yeso. Yalalabadraso. Thank you, Lord. Shidaraba delebede sandaraba fuso yeso. Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. So it's received from the Father, this promise. So the Father has this promise. He gives this promise to Jesus. The resurrected King, the one who's living in glory at the right hand of the Father. He gives this promise to Jesus. And it's Jesus' good pleasure to pour out the Spirit upon all of us. And that moment in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit gets poured out and Peter says, that is what you now see and hear. When the Holy Spirit moves, you can see and you can hear what he's doing. Like the wind, you don't necessarily see the the actual wind, but you see the effects of of the wind. The same with the Holy Spirit. You don't always see him, but you feel and you see and you know the effects of him. And he's come and he's been poured out in us and his life and his joy and his energy. Uh, both on the inside of us, as Bill Johnson says, for us, but on, on us, for the world. And he comes, and he's coming, and he keeps coming. 
and there's a radical difference and there's a transformation that happens. And actually him's coming, Jesus says in, in Acts, sorry, in John chapter 14, Holy Spirit, help me. In Acts chapter, uh, John. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to heaven, but he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to send us another counselor, one just like him. One that we, he says, you know him because he's been with you. And then he goes on to say this, in, the, in that day, in the day that the Holy Spirit comes, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The, the Holy Spirit coming is evidence of Jesus being glorified. He's also evidence of the fact that we are now united with Christ in the, and seated with him in the heavenly places. The presence of the Holy Spirit Spirit in your life is proof that you are united with Christ Jesus. He is the first fruit. He is the deposit, the guarantee, the down payment of heaven to come. As he's the absolute certainty that you've stepped through the door of righteousness that is Christ Jesus and that you are now living in Christ in the heavenly realms, in the glory of God. That the same power that's at work in, was working in Christ is now in you. It's so beautiful. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower us to, to transform our lives and then to transform the world around us. And Jesus, and let's just take a moment, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll just park here for a little minute. Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says that God in Christ has broken the dividing wall of hostility. The, the role of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to give access to the Father. Jesus has come by his death and his resurrection, he's removed all sealing and all division between us and the Father. He's also removed all division and all walls between us and each other. Because what happens when the Holy Spirit comes, after there's 3,000 people that are saved, which is really the power of God, what gets manifested out of that is the love of God. Because the love of God causes those disciples who are newly saved, who didn't know each other from all over the known globe at the time. They just were completely different places. They all now come together in a new community of love where they love and share and give of themselves. They eat together. They feast together. They pray together. And it says there's nobody had any need because they shared with each other. What's that? That's the manifestation of love. The Holy Spirit come not just to become, not just to pour out upon us his power, but to release his life to us as well. And as I was praying about what to preach on this morning, I was that, uh, this, uh, in the last few days, I had that song yesterday, you know the old song from probably 1980s of Bind Us Together, Lord. You remember that song? Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. I'm like, what's going on, Lord? That song is so old. I didn't like it when it was first around. 
But I just felt the Lord saying, you know, there's so many different ways we could go in terms, of the, in terms of Pentecost. But I felt the Lord saying, I want you to emphasize my love. I want you to emphasize my togetherness, my unity, the body of Christ. You know, last week Patricia gave a, an amazing message on revival and reformation of what God, what God wants to do in and through us and among us to bring about transformation in this region because he loves the people of this region. But one of the keys to that is not just the power of God, but it's the love of God being released. In fact, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, if you have the tongues of men and angels, if you have all powers, if you have all knowledge, but you have not love, you've got nothing. In fact, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes that noise. It's just irritating, not pleasant to listen to. Love is the key. And the Holy Spirit's come. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's his love. It's not, I said this before, but not just a Noah's Ark trickle. Sorry, a little trickle, but a Noah's Ark deluge of love. An unlimited, unexhaustible supply of the love of God being poured into us by the Holy Spirit. In fact, not just poured into us, but Jesus says, when you drink of the water, that I give, the water that I give, which is the Spirit, is going to become in you a wellspring of eternal life bubbling forth. Whew. And so Paul is talking about the unity of the Spirit, that we have access by the Spirit to the Father. You know, the Father was so keen that we would have unity with Him, that we would have relationship with Him, that He sent us the Holy Spirit, but that by the Spirit we would have access to God. God's desire is that you have access to him. God's desire is that you have relationship with him, that I have relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is not just to show or demonstrate our union, but allow us to have access to the Father and be filled with his love. And so Paul then writes in, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, he says, Therefore I, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one God. One baptism, one Lord, one Holy Spirit. We've drunk together. We both have access to the same Father. Therefore, let's live in unity together. Jesus said in John chapter 13, it is by your love that the people will know that you're my disciples. Pentecost was about not just the love of God being manifest to us in Christ Jesus, but the having had that love being manifested to us in Christ Jesus was to fill us with the perfect love of heaven that we could love always, all the time, in every depth and dimension. You know, we can't love as we should love. You could ask my wife that I can't love her the way I should love her. You could ask my, any of my children that they will know, and they will tell you that I haven't loved them perfectly. I have not got perfect love. I cannot fulfill the law that says that I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I would love my neighbor as myself. I cannot do it on my own. Can you? You can't. It's hard. It's impossible. Because the other person irritates you. 
or you irritate the other person. I find in my relationship with Ash, 95% of the time she's right and I'm wrong. And it makes me mad, which shows me that I don't have love. So we, we can't love, we can't love on our own. But the good news of the gospel is that at Pentecost and forever since, the Holy Spirit is pouring out his love in our hearts. He's the unity of the Spirit. You know, there's no unity outside of the Holy Spirit. We can't force unity to happen. I've seen attempts to make that, to where we try and get together and say, okay, we're going to do everything that we can to be united. But there's too many differences that cause us to separate from each other because those differences ultimately become irreconcilable at some point. Or we just find each other irritating. But Paul's saying there's a unity of the Spirit, there's a bond of peace that comes from the Holy Spirit that actually is our inheritance, that is our, our, uh, the Father's desire that we would love each other with that very same love and that we would be united together with that very same bond of peace. And that that love would overflow to those around us that don't know him yet. I've really been stirred with uh, 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, the love of Christ compels me because I am fully convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And then he goes on to say, therefore, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. And I'm looking at my own life and I'm saying, God, my love falls short of that but I want your love to compel me in every way and every time, all of the time. And it's the Holy Spirit being poured out in our lives that enables us to love like God loves us. And so we, but Paul says, okay, you have the love of the Spirit, you have the life of the Spirit on the inside of you, but be eager to maintain that unity. Do whatever you can, in other words. Do your very best to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He goes on to say, well, how do we do that? Well, we've been walking in humility and gentleness patience, bearing with one another. I like one of the translations, it says this, it says, putting up with one another. <laughs> ah, that we put up with another, bear with one another, have forbearance in love. Be eager to maintain the bond of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. What does that look like? That requires us to be humble. It requires us to be gentle. It requires us to be patient. It requires us to be long-suffering. All of those things are the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit coming to us bears His fruit in us. Now, I happen to believe that this, that just like all the gifts are for all of us, that the fruit of the Spirit is actually one fruit. It's the fruit of love because God is love. He doesn't talk about fruits. He talks about fruit in Galatians chapter 5. And Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other gift, uh, fruit of the Spirit. That fruit, if you think about it, all of that fruit is the fruit of love. Love, joy is love. Rejoicing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. And you can go on all the way through. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. He's being poured out into us. And so we don't have humility. We don't have gentleness. We don't have patience. We don't have long-suffering in its purest form. I know for me, sometimes, I think I remember hearing somebody say this once, and I agree with them, that there are, if I'm really, really, because it's all one fruit, 
If I'm really good at patience, but actually really, really bad at joy, then I'm actually not bearing the fruit of patience. What I'm doing is I'm probably looking at something like people-pleasing because I want to be patient with you so that you don't dislike me. That the fruit, because it's one fruit, we should be seeing it grow in all the dimensions of that fruit in our lives. And if we find it difficult to be, so if, if I'm a peacemaker, but I'm not full of joy, then perhaps my peace isn't from the Holy Spirit. My peace is actually because I don't have the courage to speak my mind. We don't have gentleness, we don't have humility, all of those things. But here's the good news of the gospel. My favorite, favorite definition of Jesus is one that he gives himself. He says this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. Don't you love that description? Don't you love the truth of that? That Jesus himself, he's saying, I'm a humble. What does humble mean? Well, humble means to to lower yourself. That's the very nature of God. You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word to bless, which God does right at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, it actually means to kneel. You know that when God blesses you, he's kneeling. That's that's humility. And Jesus comes as, as humble. He's coming not to tell us what we have to do and whip us into shape. He's not coming to castigate us and beat us and make sure that we can finally do what he's asking us to do. He's not coming to have all the answers and to just ride roughshod over everything. He comes with humility, which means he asks questions. A guy comes up to him who's blind and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Talk about a humble question when you know exactly what's about to happen. And he's full of gentleness which basically means I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to come hard against you. I'm going to come alongside you and be kind and cautious and quiet and just help you along your way. Come not with a spirit of I've got the right answers. I know exactly what to do. Sort your life out. I love that gentleness because it's like Jesus isn't there going, come on, guys, sort your lives out. Hurry up, would you? I've got some good things for you to do and you're just not getting it and you're really slow and I've got these grand plans, don't you know, and you're ruining the grand plan. It's not like that. His humility says, I know you haven't got what it takes, but I'm here to help you. To fill in the gaps, to ask the questions. Someone, I think it was Peter, said to me after the first service, you know, humility asks questions, pride assumes. He's come with gentleness and humility. He's come with patience. I don't know about you, but I, I find patience really hard. My, my, the Holy Spirit's really speaking to me a lot about patience. And I, the place that I find patience, well, I find it hard everywhere, but I particularly find it hard in my car. <laughs> Do you know that? And I, I speak to the person in the car like they can hear me. My kids are like, Dad, they can't hear you, you know, but I'm still talking to them, you know, like, uh, hello, the light's gone green, green means go. Uh, Hello, are you waiting for a written invitation to move off this side road? Uh, Hello, where did you learn how to drive? Sort your life out. Hurry up. Move on. Going so slow. Why is this guy up my tail? What's going on? What's wrong with him? All these things. I'm struggling with patience. And the Holy Spirit's going, hey, let me breathe life into you. 
Holy Spirit breathing patience and long-suffering, putting up with each other in love. I can guarantee you if you've been in this church for long enough or you stay in this church long enough, one of the leaders, probably me, will upset you or offend you. And you'll have to put up with me. Because I'm not perfect. And I'm going to fall short. You're going to have to bear long with me as you're bearing long with each other. And that's not an easy thing to do when someone's irritating you, is it? When someone's pushing you or when someone's cut you short, it's not an easy thing to do. But the power of heaven, the glory of God on the inside. So what does this look like practically? A couple of things I want to share. So um, a few weeks ago, we had, was a, a, some, we had some misunderstanding with some of our friends here. And, um, and something was communicated to them by someone else that, that wasn't quite what, would, what had happened. And there was a great opportunity for, for offense because what was communicated was actually painful about what, what I had said. And, um, you know, some of us, our immediate reaction, rather than being eager to maintain the bond of, of peace, our, our, our eagerness is to be angry, to justify ourselves, to be self-righteous. But these friends and I love them for this, came to me in humility and ash. It came to me in humility and gentleness, in pain and tears, and said, hey, this is what we've heard. Is this true? That's how you maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because pride assumes. This, my assumption, their assumption could have been, wow, that Murray's an idiot. He's so unkind. He's just so full of himself. He's two-faced. He says one thing and does another. Kathy, did you hear what Murray did? It's terrible. He did this and this and this. You, you, need, you need to know about this. He's a, he's, he's, he's a problem. But they didn't do that. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. And they came to us and they said, this is what happened. Is this true? And we were able with tears to say, no, this is not true. This is a misunderstanding. And what happened? The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace was maintained. In fact, it was strengthened because they had the courage to come. That's what humility looks like. Humility and gentleness looks like I'm coming to you in love because I want to gain a brother. How many offenses do you have in your heart that you're unwilling to go and speak to someone about? Every time you're unwilling, you're actually saying, I'm not eager to maintain the bond of peace. The other thing that happened uh, relatively recently was there was some people that, that we just had this inkling that they had an offense towards us. You know, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, if you get to the altar with your gift and you realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. That's radical because what Jesus is saying right there is a worship of me in this moment is less important than you being reconciled. What's more important is that you're reconciled and then I'll receive your worship. And so we went to these friends and said, hey, is everything okay between us? It feels like there's some disconnect. It feels like there's a challenge. It feels like maybe you've got something in your heart against us. Is that okay? Can we talk about it? And we talked about it and we had a great moment of reconciliation and breakthrough. 
gentleness and humility, patience and long-suffering. It's not in my own capacity to do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the life of heaven. The love of God poured out in our hearts. And when we do that, Psalm 133 says this, how pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in union. And unity. It's like, the, it's like the oil coming down Aaron's beard. There the Lord commands the blessing. You know, we're looking for revival. We're looking for God to move. We're looking for signs and wonders and miracles. But unless we maintain our love, unless we continue to get filled up with the love of the Holy Spirit, unless we maintain the unity of, us, of the Spirit here, unless we release the love of God to those around us, actually we're just doing nothing. It's a radical, powerful statement. And the Holy Spirit wants, us to, wants to fill us with his love again and again. It's his invitation that we would know the Father and we would experience his love. Pentecost was a supernatural infusion of power and love into humanity. Supernatural love because it's a love that overcomes all of our own insecurities, doubts, failings, shortcomings, pain, anger, anxiety, depression, all of those things. Our ineptitude at relationships, speaking personally. But the Holy Spirit is here. I want to invite you to stand. If Nathan's here, I would love, thank you Nathan. Whew, thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> Here's what I want us to do right now. I want us to remind ourselves that we're in Christ Jesus. Now, I was talking with someone at the break. You know, sometimes we know that we're in Christ, but it's like we know that Christ is standing. It's as if we think that Christ is standing next to us as a model and that we're in Christ, but we somehow have to figure out what to do on our own. Whereas actually being in Christ means that you have Christ in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is on the inside of you. Everything that you need to love and relate, have good relationships, everything that you need to see your world transformed is on the inside of you. It happened the moment that you said yes to Jesus and the moment that you received the Holy Spirit and then were baptized in the Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, I haven't got time to go into it, but you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just to take a moment. We're going to adore the Lord. Worship. You know, when you know, when you're on the inside of Christ, the most appropriate thing first and foremost is to worship and adore. It's to just turn our affection and our gaze to heaven. It's to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for dwelling on the inside of me, Jesus. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power and the life of heaven. Let's lift up your voices. Turn your affection towards him. There is 
full of love and full of truth. You supply all we need, oh my God, oh my King. as you're worshipping just allow your hearts open up your hearts say Holy Spirit come and fill me with your love and outpouring and an overflow of heaven upon, upon me fill me Lord fill me and your goodness and your mercy, Lord. Thank you for the overflow of heaven into us, God. So just to finish, what I want you to do is I want you just to find someone, look them in the eye, tell them that you love them, tell them you appreciate them, whatever it is, whatever you feel comfortable with, but just and then just pray the love of God into them they would experience the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of God. That love that surpasses all understanding. That they would experience heaven loving them and that the overflow of heaven would be poured out all over them. If it feels uncomfortable for you, just want to you can put your hand on them or shake their hand instead if you want, but just connect with them. And I felt this morning as we were as we were praying in pre-service prayer the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said there are some people here that have broken relationships that the Lord wants to restore 
that He wants to release life to us, to you, to enable you to overcome the hurt and the fear, to release forgiveness, to come in gentleness and kindness without anger and release forgiveness and have reconciliation and re-established and reconnected in relationship. Why don't you look someone in the eye and tell them that you're awesome? Mallory, you're awesome. You are awesome. You're going to need to move from your seats because there's some people that are in rows that only have one person next to them. So here's the thing. I want you to just move, find someone else, look them in the eye because it's eye-to-eye contact expresses love and just say, you are awesome. You are loved by your heavenly daddy. You are fantastic, beautiful.